0: This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. you have your Bibles, you can turn me to Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 13. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 13. Here's our opening text this morning. We continue on our series entitled Healing Broken Relationships, and a six-part series. And somebody actually asked me last night, um, if I miss anyone, can I still come to your seminar? <laughs> and I said, I'll... Oh, of course, it's not made where it's built upon one another. You can just jump in anytime and feel free you know, to go to other seminars. And so you won't feel lost. It's going to be on different subjects, but it just builds upon one another. So this is the fifth one in this series, A Safe Place. You know, every, within every single one of us, there is a desire to belong to a safe, healthy environment where love can grow. So in Hawaii, there's a place called... How many have been to Hawaii? Let me see your hands out there. Okay. Um, in Hawaii, there's a place called Pu'o Honua o Honau now, which is place of refuge. And they call it actually the city of refuge. How many heard of the city of refuge before? Okay, maybe in the Bible. So in Hawaii, actually, in the Hawaiian culture, there's a place called the city of refuge, similar to the city of refuge that's found in the Bible. And so if they broke up what they call the kapu in Hawaiian, I'm giving a little bit of Hawaiian. Um, class here, so it might pique your interest to come to Hawaii even more so. So if you broke a kapu, which was a law that you're not supposed to break, um, there was a death penalty upon you, and they would chase you down, and, but there was a safe place called the O Honaonau, which is on our island, and you could, um, you could run there, and then you had to swim around to get there, and once you get into that city... Then you couldn't be harmed and you were safe. It was a safe place and you're protected. And even if you committed the most, the most worst crime that was out there and the worst um, consequence that you would face which would be the death penalty, you still would be safe because it was a safe place. It was a, a haven, some place you could, a sanctuary, a place of peace and safety, of refuge. And the same way today, there are many people who are hurting and whose hearts are crying out for a safe place to go to. A place where they can escape the vicious, cutthroat world out there and experience healing. A place where they can get away from all their brokenness and relationships that are, are hurting, and a place where they can feel safe once again. I have a friend that works in CPS, Child Protective Services, and he said as he worked with these kids, he really tries to work what's best for these children rather than what the, the laws are saying in his, um, his, his uh, county department. And so as he works with um, these young kids, he always asks them this question. He always asks them, what is your pu'uhonua? Now in Hawaiian, pu'uhonua means safe place. What is your safe place? So he always asks him, what is your safe place? What is your pu'u'u ho- no? What is your safe place? Think about what is the place that you can think about in your back of your mind. Because these kids are on the street. They have nowhere to go. They get into trouble. You know, they get into crime and drugs. And these are high school kids. They're under 18. And so and he always asks them, where is your safe place? And so they're telling him, you know, this one incident he, said, he was telling me about, he said, this, these two kids were saying to him, it's our grandparents. That's our safe place. He said, okay, I'm going to work on it. He said, but I don't think you can work you know, for my grandparents to take care of us because our grandparents have a criminal record. And according to CPS, if you have a criminal record, then you can't, they can't take us. But that's our safe place. So here, take the kids. He told me this. I took those kids. I took them to the grandparents. And said, I knew him. He was a former boxer. And he talked to him and he told him, these kids feel that this is their safe place. Are you willing to take them? And he said, hey, you no, know, I can't t- take them. You know, I have a criminal record. And say, look, they feel that this is their safe place. I'm going to leave them with you. And I don't know that they're here. So he said he left them there, this safe place. And after like a few, I think it was like a, a few months later, because they're on a the run, right? <laughs> so a few months later, they called back and they said, hey, look, we want to go back to high school. We want to finish up our degree. We don't don't want to get into trouble anymore. We want to turn our lives around. And they did. And they finished. There's something there about a safe place that's so powerful that this transforms you. And I think people are really, they're hungering for this. And more than anything else, I mean, this seminar is powerful. I mean, I mean it may be powerful to some of you. This, I mean, this counseling sessions with people. Um, the whole GYC may be inspirational to you. And all the different things that are going on. But you know what? What people are really longing for is something more than that. Like it says, that which we have not only is we heard, but that which we have seen, and that which we have looked upon, and that which we have handled. In other words, people want to know what does love look like. And not only, don't they describe to me what it looks like, but they want to see it. They want mentorship. They want this up. Our younger generation has been dis- so distorted by sin. We have been distorted so much by sin. Even if you describe to us in the most perfect words there are out there, we cannot grasp what true love looks like. Because God's love and our love is completely different. And so we have a warped view by how we are raised in our homes of what love looks like. And so we, we don't know how to express it. And so that's why Jesus didn't say, okay, guys, let's set up a classroom and I'm going to teach you, listen to my words, okay, see you guys later. His method of teaching was actually follow me. I want you to see with your own eyes. I want you to handle with your own hands. I want you to experience and see for yourself what love actually looks like. Not what it, you hear it looks like, but what actually it looks like. If you hear what I'm saying, let me hear you say Amen? Amen? That is a cry I feel this generation more than any, of any time in history because of so much sin is brought so much pain and brokenness and hurt in this world. We don't need more sermons. We don't need more sessions and consultations. We don't need more one-on-one, though they're very powerful and I believe in them and people can be transformed. What we really need is actually people taking the time to show the next generation what love looks like if they know even themselves. That is the greatest cry of this world. I really believe that with all my heart. What does it look like? We want to see it. Not only for my heart to be healed, but because I really never seen it growing up. And I want to know what it looks like. I came from a broken home, a dysfunctional home. I want to know what it looks like. I personally came from, my dad was an alcoholic. I want to know what it looks like. Because I can read it, but I'm distorted to my view of what I've experienced in my life. And the whole Bible can be transformed. That's why we all read the same Bible, but we all act differently. We all actually experience Christianity differently. Why? Because of how we've been raised. It has distorted the picture of God's character. And God wants us to experience a different picture. And what God wants to do is he wants to create safe places. And that's where actually our schools were supposed to be safe places, it was a place for where re-parenting could happen. It was supposed to be a place where re-parenting was supposed to happen. That's what it was. That's why, you know, when he first started off, you know, pioneers of our Adventist church. I mean, you know who? EA Sutherland and McGann. And they call, them like, they call them like parents, like father, you know, like Madison College. Like father, like they were actually their parents. They're reparented and actually with a school where like a, a new home environment to get actually experience and see what actually love looks like. And that's the passion of my heart. And that's why we started our school in Hawaii, in Southern California. So they can see it and taste it for yourself that the Lord is good. What do you say? Amen? And I think God is really wants us to experience that a pu'u'onua, a safe place that we all can experience. The sad thing is that when I go around, I hear from the people that their churches are not safe places to be in. And that only reveals one thing, that somehow our warped picture of God has not been transformed in real life. And maybe we have a right concept in our mind, but intellectually, like a mere intellectual sin, like Ellen White says, but, you know, the biggest journey is the... Uh, the 18 inches or the 12 inches from the head to the heart, right? And so, and not only that, but it's filtered through our bad experiences. And by the time it transfers to the heart, it's a total different experience than what we actually the Bible actually says. So God wants to transform us and give us new picture. And that's why there's something about the Bible. Everything about the Bible is that you know Jesus' school was like, hey, let's go out. We were they were a family. That's what was so powerful. Jesus' ministry. It wasn't like a classroom. It wasn't a, just a seminar. It was more than that. It was a life experience. It was living with the disciple. They slept in the same places. They did ministry together. They saw how he interaction, They saw his facial expressions of love. They saw how he, he actually looked eye contact. They saw every, these little things that children don't even see today from their own parents. They saw expressions of love. They saw kindness. They saw the intonation. They heard the intonation of his voice. They heard the pleading of, with the, with the Pharisees, they, they, they wanted to experience, they were experiencing love. They weren't just hearing about love, they were experiencing love. And that is so powerful. And that's what this world longs for so much in such a powerful way. Unfortunately, many times our focus is upon numbers. We get so excited about the baptisms and the, you know, I worked for the conference, you know, before, so it was, you know, it was always the the numbers and the tithe, right? But we're so focused on the numbers, but is it just about getting people excited about the Lord and bringing to the Lord and dunking them in the water and then letting them go on their own in the church? Is that what it's really all about? Is that really, truly loving people? Truly loving people is investing your time in them, having yourself reproduce in these people. It's not about the numbers. It's not about, okay, once you're baptized, you're on your own, see you later. It's about really spending time with these people and loving them and mentoring them and then showing them actually what love looks like. Not just going to a series of intellectual ascent, intellectual studies about our doctrines and standards and prophecies in a in a, in a Bible study or a seminar and then baptize it. Okay, you're doing good. See you later. So we can go find the next person. What this world is crying out more than anything else in this world is character development. They you believe that, let me hear you say amen. amen. Amen? Not baptisms and numbers, but character because character is the only thing we're going to take to heaven and that character of God's love. Thoughts, character is God's thoughts and feelings. In other words, Thoughts and feelings of love. That's the only thing we're going to take to heaven. So let's invest, and in not only our character of thoughts and feelings of God's character of love in us, but let's invest in the people all around us and so they can develop thoughts and feelings of love that's reflected on Christ's character. That his character of love can be reproduced in his people. That's the heart cry of today. And I know we like to just talk about and brag about numbers and baptisms, and that gets everyone excited about everything that's going on. But, you know, beyond, it's like veneer. You know how they make the wood? It's pressed wood behind it. It's a nice veneer. It looks, all these excitement reports, it looks so nice on the outside. But on behind the scenes, there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of people who are not mentored. A lot of people are hurting. And they haven't been addressed. They haven't been helped. They haven't been healed. And it's all a facade out here. And people are hurting while we're getting praises for all the numbers that we're producing. But it's not about numbers in our church. It should always be about people. You believe that? What I, you believe Let me hear you say amen. amen? Amen. And God is looking for a safe place, a place that we can go to be healed. And that's why God originally started wanting our schools to happen, because he wanted a place where people can see what love looks like. Where's your safe place Is my question this morning? Let us pray. Father, help us to see first so we can then experience fully your safe place. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 13. We're talking about, we're going to look at a safe place. We're going to look into the eyes of the prodigal son. And the older brother. Huh. What did the younger son do? You Notice know, the Bible says in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 13. The Bible says, And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the young of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. So the youngest son said to his father, Father, you know, give me a portion of your goods. So what is he asking for? Inheritance. inheritance. Okay, now, when do people normally get their inheritance? After, after. after what? The parents die. So what is this youngest son basically saying to his dad? I wish you were dead. I you were dead. <laughs> so I could get your money disrespectful son. He didn't care about anything. All he cared about was getting his money from his dad. He said, I wish you were dead. Give me your money. I want your money, dad. And dad, of all things, gave him the money. And then it says here that he went into a far country and wasted his life with riotous living. Now, you know, if he really wanted this party and everything, you know, he could have just um, stayed in that um, in that hometown, and this blew all his money, right? Or he could have just stayed in the in the United States, right? At least he went to like maybe you know in Hawaii, he went all the way to Florida, to get away. But if the Bible says, and he could have just went to Mexico or Canada, right? Or even Peru. But he decided to go to a far country on the other side of the world, to the Netherlands, right? So it wasn't just about. The money he wanted, in other words, he wanted to get as far away from home as possible. Because maybe the home wasn't a safe place and a home to come home to. I want to throw that thought in your mind. Not because of the father, we all know that, but because of the older brother. And we're going to get there. What happened next? Look at verse 14. The Bible says here, so we're looking at a safe place. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. So he had spent all of his money, all the money that was given, all his inheritance that he had gotten, and there arose a, fa- a mighty famine, and there was a want and it says in verse 15, And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed what? Swine. So what do you know about Jews and pigs? What do you know about Adventists and pigs? <laughs> not only unclean, not only supposed to eat them, but the Jews were not even supposed to what? Touch them or they'll be unclean, right? So they were unclean. If there were to the Tetzim. So here he was, a Jew, and he's going against the principles of his own um, beliefs, and he was actually feeding pigs. And then, not only that, it says, so he's hitting his rock bottom already. He lost all his money, he's, he's all in want, and now he finds that the only job he has is feeding pigs, which he has supposed to have nothing to do with them. And then it says here, and he and he would fain have filled his belly. In other words, if he could, he would have eaten with the hus that the swine did eat. If it was possible, he would have eaten the pig slop. Because he was so hungry. And, and the Bible says here, And no man gave unto him. He had hit his rock bottom. He had to reach his worst part of his life. Things were not going well in his life. And he, he felt like everything was going wrong. It ever happened to you? Where you hit your rock bottom? It happened to this young man and he had felt he had lost everything. In fact, my question is, where was his friends? Yeah. He had probably thought he I want wow, this is not a home I want to come home to. I'm gonna I'm gonna hang out with my friends because that's where my you know those are people that really bring happiness to me, and that's that's where my safe place really is. Hanging out with these guys, you know, this is like really a good, safe place. I feel safe around them. They're always going to get my back. And in the end, there's no place to be found. Let me tell you about true friends. It's when you go through hardships and trials and struggles that you find out who your true friends really are. What do you say, amen? It's Not the ones when you have all, everything going for you and all the money and everything's exciting going on. But it's when you have nothing that you find out who your true friends is. when you have nothing and you're broken and you're down and they still stick to you. That is who your true friends are. What do you say, amen? Amen. Those are the ones you never want to let go. You always want to stick with them and be, and that's the kind of friend that we need to be. What do you say, Amen? amen? When people are down, that is when we need to be there for these people. And when they're hurting, that's when we need to be ministering to them. Not when they got something they can give to us, but it's something that we can give to them. And so here's this young man. He had lost everything. And not only that he had lost all material things, but he had lost, one thing he thought was his safe place was destroyed in front of his very own eyes. He began to be in want, began to He wished, and no man even helped him out in anything. What did his son think about next before he repented? Notice the Bible says here. And when he came to himself, so he woke up, he said, and how did he wake up? Notice what he said in his mind. How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. In other words, he had repented. What did he say? Amen. But my question is, what made him repent? Isn't that a good question? Now we learned yesterday what is it that leads someone to repentance? The goodness of God. So somehow this servant had saw the goodness of God, and when he saw the goodness of God, it led him to repentance. So what part in this reveals the goodness of his father? Representative of our Father in heaven. Look at verse 15. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 17. When he came to himself, he said in his mind, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish, and I perish with hunger. In other words, my, my father's servants, they're so abundantly blessed by my father. In other words, my father is a good man. He's such a good person that he even takes care of his servants, and they have so much to eat and so much food, they have so much left over with so much to spare. My father is such a good man. In other words, for the first time in his life, he may have heard it in church that God is good. He may have have, had people sung it in church that God is great. But it's the first time in his life he had really experienced in his heart that God is truly good. What do you say? Amen? He saw that his father was good, and because he saw his father was good, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. He was repentant, truly repentant from the heart. So a, a repentance not to be repented of, as the Bible says, right? A true repentance. And that's what he experienced in his heart. Because he saw that his father was a good father. And I want you to notice, it wasn't a huge revelation of his father's goodness that brought him to repent, repentance. It was only a small revelation that he took care, good care of his servants, He's such a good man. And all I may take is just a little glimpse that God is good that's going to lead us to true repentance. What a wonderful God, amen? But God is so much good because all the earth is full of His goodness, the Bible says. "Is everywhere. And whenever you look out in nature, it reveals God's character, His glory, and His goodness to bring us to His repentance. Now, what happened next in verse twenty. Notice the Bible says here. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So he rose and said, I'm gonna go back home. I'm gonna see my father because I miss my father, and you know I'm I know I'm wrong. I'm gonna repent to him and tell him all the things I've done wrong. So he went to see his his father, and as he's going to see his father, The Bible says that the father saw him a great way off. Now, how in the world would a father see him a great way off unless he was actually waiting every single day for his son? Waiting for his son to come back, he's like, is he coming home yet? Not today. Is he coming home yet? Not today. So he kept waiting for his son, and finally he saw him, and the father ran And had compassion. He had compassion. In other words, this father truly had compassion in his heart. In other words, he was truly a good father. What do you say, amen? He had compassion and he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed his son because he loved his son. And he held on to his son. And never mind he smelled like pigs. Never mind he smelled all dirty. Never mind he was all filthy, for his father still loved him and embraced him in all of it, because that boy was still his son. And beloved, never mind you smell like spiritual pigs. Never mind you look all spiritually dirty. Never mind that you feel that you're not worthy. You are still his child. What do you say, amen? And God loves you because you are his child. Now, what happened next in verse 21? Notice the Bible says here. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no more worthy to be called your son. He's truly broken. And the Bible says, But the father said to his servants, Never mind, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. In other words, he didn't listen, so he accepted it, but he like, ignored his son in his apology. And he went on and said, right, Servants, bring forth the best robe. And that robe, the best robe, was the father's robe. That was a special robe of, of the father owning, and he put it upon his very own son to cover up the son's filthy rags. And in the same way, our Heavenly Father also has a robe of righteousness that will cover up our wickedness, and this robe will also transform us to His beautiful character. What do you say? Amen? Amen. words, no matter what you've done in your past, when you come to Christ, God covers you with the robe of righteousness that was created by Jesus' life on this earth. In other words, all the good works, the whole perfect life Jesus lived on this earth for 33 and a half years on this earth, is woven in that robe so when he puts it on you, what God does when he looks at you once you accept him, when you look he looks at you he, sees, he doesn't see your life and all the bad things you've done. He sees the perfect life of his son. what do you say? Amen? Where they got that it's in your handout. Let me read this to you Review and Herald number November 4 1890. it says this. Righteousness is obedience to the law. We need righteousness. What do you say? Amen? The law demands righteousness. We need righteousness. And this the sinner owes to the law. We need to owe righteousness to the law. But he is incapable of rendering it. What do you say? Amen? The only way in which he can attain to righteousness is through faith. By faith he can bring to God the merits of Christ. And the Lord places the obedience of his Son to the sinner's account. What do you say? Amen? Christ's righteousness is accepted in place of man's failure, and God receives pardons, justifies the repentant, believing soul, treats him as though he were righteous, and loves him as he loves his son Jesus. When you come to Christ, God gives you his robe of righteousness, and then he sees you as if you had never sinned. And then he sees you as if you're perfect like Jesus Christ. And all your guilt falls away. And all your shame falls away. And then because of that robe of righteousness, he looks at you as if he sees Jesus. And the love between the Father and the Son swells up in his heart towards you. What a father. What do you say? Amen? And he gave that robe of righteousness for us to see. And the next quote says here, through the righteousness of Christ, we shall stand before God pardoned and as though we had never sinned. What do you say, huh? Amen? This is righteousness by faith. Now, what else did the Father do? Look at verse 23 and 24. The Bible says And he said, And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. And then it says here, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The father threw a big celebration and celebrated the fact that his son who was once dead was now alive. And the son who was once lost was now found. You see, this father's happiness was not based upon what his son was doing or what had done. But the father's happiness was based upon his current relationship with his son. What do you say, huh? Amen? And the same way God's happiness is not directly linked upon what you have done in your past. But it's based upon his current relationship with you. Because you know, once he has that relationship with you, then that love will draw forth from you and obedience from your heart and you become obedient to what he asked you to do. That's what God wants to have with us first, a relationship with him. You know, if this story were to end right here, which normally does in sermons, <laughs> it would be just the perfect story, right? But this isn't the perfect story. I mean, it is the perfect story by Jesus, but in what happens is not the perfect story because there was an older brother in the story that rarely gets talked about, that we're going to talk about this morning that deals with a safe place what did the eldest son do so did they all, everyone's all happy and in Luke chapter 15 verse 25 to 28 now his eldest son, the older brother Was in the field. Now, what does the field represent in the Bible? The world. Now, he's at home, right? He's in the church. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come. And thy father has killed the fatted calf because he had received him safe and sound. And he, the older brother, was what? Angry. And would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. See, the older brother heard the music and the dancing and the excitement and the joy that his, his younger brother had come home. And then he asked the servant what was going on and he told him the whole story, what had happened. And because he heard all this, the older brother, the Bible says, became angry at what was going on. In fact, this older son's anger was so strong that he wouldn't even go into the party. So not only was his presence gone, which was noticed, but according to the tradition at that time, it was the responsibility of the older brother to go in and greet the guests as they arrived. So for him not to be greeting the guests as they were arriving showed that something was wrong in that home. He didn't go in. You see, this eldest son may have disagreed, but he could have still gone into the house, greeted the guests, and then later on he could have had dialogue with his dad as, you know, what he disagreed and then done it later on. But this had disgraced the family at what he didn't do. Now, my question is, why do you think that this older brother acted this way and what he did? Self-righteous, yes. Now, why do people get angry? What is his purpose in getting angry to what? Okay. Normally when people get angry, they're trying to get people to see things the way that they see things, right? And the one person who gets more angry can kind of pressure the other person to listen to them, or even not to listen to them, but even to maybe force them to even do things what they want you to do, right? To manipulate you through anger, the one that yells the most or um, gives a cold shoulder or a silent treatment, who wins the, long, the, the longest, ends up winning out for the purpose to get you to do what they want you to do. Control. He has control. Which is abuse. So this eldest son was abusive. He was abusive in the home. He was abusive to his father. Because if he could, if he could, he was getting angry. And his very actions, not going into the party, not only was he angry at his words towards his dad, but he would even go into the party. So by his actions and his words, he was being manipulated to his dad. If he could, he would have stopped the party. If he could, he would have had his dad change his mind about what had happened and apologize to him. Because if he got more angry God, would maybe angry at dad, then maybe dad would see my point. Are you following me? So this elder, older brother was abusive and if he was abusive like this to his father he must have been abusive to his younger brother also. In other words, this place was not a safe place to be in. This was a toxic environment, a toxic home, a toxic Church which is represented here in this story. The father went out twice in that same day. The first time he went out was for a repentant lost sinner, and the second time he went out was for an abusive lost church member. Who stayed in the church, who never left. Now, what did the eldest son say was the reason why he was angry? Notice the verse says here in 29 and 30. And he answered, said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve you, or I slayed for you, and neither transgress I any time thy commandments. And yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry my friend. You never gave me a party. You never gave me a celebration. In other words, I was faithful to you, Dad. I've served you all these years. I stayed in the home. I've never left the home. And I served you, and you never gave me anything good. Kind of like I scratch your back, you scratch my back. You ever heard that before? I do you a favor, you owe me one, right? Kind of like how the world thinks. You think that could happen in a church? Then it says here, then he goes on and says this, not only that, but he says, but as soon as this, your son was come, your son, not, he's not my brother, he's your son. You ever heard that before? Your son is come, which has devoured and living with harlots, with prostitutes. You have killed him for him, the fatted calf. In other words, wait a minute here. This gray stuff. An eye for an eye. If someone does something bad for you, you're supposed to do something bad back to them, right? If your son does something bad to you, you need to do something bad or punish them for what they've done. But here you have your son, my brother, but your son going out, blowing all of his inheritance, disgrace your name by all the riotous living he did, Give the family a bad name. Then he comes home, and all the bad things, and and you have the nerve, Dad, that, that allow him to come home. Not only that, but then you throw him a party. He does all the bad, and you repay bad with good. Does that make sense? And then me, I stayed in the church. I was faithful. I was working hard, and I was doing all these good things, and you didn't do anything for me, anything good for me. I don't know about this grace stuff. It doesn't make sense to me. How about you? We deserve what we do. We, we deserve to get what we, we work on, what we reward it for. We should get it in our minds. So that's what he was thinking. This older brother had made it a toxic home. It was a righteousness by works. Isn't this how many times people behave and believe in a church? They believe that since they have been faithful in the church and served the church for all of these years, they're entitled to special privileges. I've been a member of this church 30 years. You know, I was here to help build this church. They call them matriarchs and patriarchs in churches. Like they control the board meetings or they control the church and how things run and operate. Those of you who've been on church boards. And it got to be done their way. Because they have the influence. Because they know that, you know, they're the ones that started. They're the charter members. They're the ones that make the donate, most donations. They're the ones that have the most influence on top of the church and its meetings. And it got to be done their way or the highway. And they're abusive like the older brother. Spiritual abusers in the church. And they want to control and They make the church, like the older brother, they make the church a toxic environment to live in. So much so that the church is not a safe place. And because the church is a toxic environment by these older brothers in the churches, the younger brothers feel like church is not a place they want to come home to. And then they leave the church. And we blame the people who leave the church for leaving the church. And that's my thing I think I see with evangelism. We're so excited about evangelism. And here's the point. We have evangelism. We baptize all these people that come into church. And my question is, where are most of these people in two years? It's almost like, and our solution to the problem is like we deal with the symptoms, like I'm talking about this whole week, right? So we deal with the symptoms. What we do is to to kind of replenish the church, what do we do? We baptize more people. And they go out the back door again. So what do we do again? We baptize more people. What about changing the toxic environment of the church and making it in a safe place? What do you say, amen? amen. What did we say, what if someone to tell you, hey, look, I have this family, and you know, we, having, we had some kids, and my children, they, uh, they all ran away from home. But that's okay, don't worry about it. We have a plan because we're, I'm pregnant and we're having more children. And they have more children and in the same toxic environment, you know, 15 years later, they run away from home. say, so don't worry about it, we got a solution. We're going to have more babies. And the babies that grow up and they become teenagers and they run away from home. Don't worry about it, we're going to have more babies. What do you think about that? So when someone is actually... Converted or born again. Aren't we doing the same thing? Born meaning we're giving birth to more babies in the church so they can grow up and run away from the church home. Is that what we we're created and commissioned to do? Is it really? folks? think about this. Is that a calling? Could it be that there are Christians who have left the church because of the false picture of God given to them by the older brothers and sisters within the church, is my question? Could that be possible in your church? I'm gonna read you this quote. It's probably gonna blow you away. It blew me away when I read it. It's gonna be probably shocking and very painful. But listen to this Testimonies to the Church, Volume 6, page 370. Notice she says, The Lord does not now work to bring many souls into the truth because of the church members who had never been converted and those who were once converted, but who have backslidden. In other words, God does not bring many souls. In other words, God actively stops people from coming into the church, into His remnant church, because He believes it is safer for them to be in the world than it is to be in the church. Can you imagine the pain of God that his bride, he can't bring his people out there into his church because his remnant church is not ready? Can you feel the heartache of the father longing for his younger son to come home, knowing that it was the older brother that made it a home toxic for him not to want to come home to? Can you imagine God actively stopping people from coming into his church? That's a powerful quotation, a very solemn thought to think about. And my question to you is this. Could it be possible that God has actively stopped people from coming into your church because maybe it was also a toxic environment? And also, could it be possible that God allowed your family or friends to leave your church because he felt that it was safer for them to be in the world than in your church? That's a sobering thought. I know that sometimes medicine tastes bad, but if you take it, it heals. And sometimes the truth is hard to swallow, but if you take it, it heals. What do you say, amen? Now, we're not to play God and determine who's not supposed to come into church. What do you say, amen? You can't say, okay, well, my church is a toxic environment and God's bringing someone in and say, no, you can't come in because you're not God and you don't know. What do you say, Amen? That could be the very place that they could thrive. And the other way is also true. If God wants to stop them, don't try and manipulate them or guilt trip them to come when definitely God is not leading them. What do you say? Amen? So either way, do not play God and put yourself in a place of God. Look at the next quotation. From Desire of Ages, page 239. Our standing before God depends not upon the amount of light we have received, but upon the use we make of what we have. Thus even the heathen who choose the right as far as they can distinguish it are in a more favorable condition than are those who have had great light and profess to serve God, but who disregard the light and by their daily life contradict their profession." See, we're not judged upon, it's not going to be righteousness by intellectual knowledge and intellectual ascent. That's not how we're going to be saved. It's righteousness by faith, by living it. What do you say, amen? By living up to what you know. In other words, the more light you seek to know, the more you need to live up to it. And that's why those in the world, they have been given very little light, but if they are following the very little light that they know, and those of us who know so much and we don't follow even a little bit of it, they're going to be seen in a much greater light and favor in God's eyes than we do in God's eyes. And that's why the leadership and the Pharisees and Jesus, they were in the same mindset. God had to do something to change the very toxic environment of his church and to change it. We need a fresh revelation of God's goodness in our churches. What do you say? Amen? We need righteousness by faith. We need God's character. We need to see God's goodness. And when we see God's goodness, that's why this is only to present it to help us to see that we have a need. Laodicea, I know myself, I'm Laodicea. But myself and all of us, we're stuck in this Laodicea that we feel that we don't need anything. And sometimes God has to come with a message that will shock us, to wake us up, that we do need something, and not something that you can do, because there's nothing we can do. But we can do one thing. We can look, and we can live. We can just look at the cross, and we can see God's love for us, and we see God's love for us. It changes our hard hearts, and it makes us like the beautiful character of Jesus Christ. I want that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? The older brother had righteousness by works. And the younger brother had righteousness by faith. And what God wants to do is that He wants you. The Bible says we are living epistles known and read by men, right? In other words, we are living Bibles or books. We are walking Bibles known and read by men. People can read us by how we live our lives, not by what we say. But when they see, uh, when they see the goodness of God in you, they too can be brought to repentance. What do you say, amen? Amen. So God wants to use you to be living sanctuaries, to be living places of safe havens, to be places where it can be a safe environment, that that safe place that people are hungering for. So how are we to love so as to create this safe place? Turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Now, before I read that, I just want to read up the last um, couple of texts of this, this story. It says here, And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is yours. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. And he said, Son, you have all the, my goodness, you have all my love within the home. So, because of this love, let us rejoice in it, and then let us do good. God blesses us so that we may do good. What do you say? Amen? We don't do good to get God's blessings, though there are special blessings in following His ways. But God blesses us already. While we were yet sinners, God loved us and died for us before we did anything good. And that goodness makes us want to serve Him. I want that. How about you? Amen? And then let's go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. How are we to love so as to create this safe place that we're talking about? Notice what it says here. How are we to love? Where is love found? The Bible says here in verse 10, Herein is love. In other words, if you want to find love, if you want to find a safe place where we can go to, notice it says, here is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. In other words, if you want to find out love, don't focus upon us loving each other. And then it says here, don't even focus upon us, what we need to love God. But if you want to find love, let's us focus upon and look upon God loving us. What do you say, huh? Amen? In other words, we hear so much about how I need to love God, how I need to serve God, how I need to obey God, which is important. But if you really want to find a love that works, if you really want to look for it, if you're looking for true victory over sin, true love, then let's not focus upon what we need to do, but let's focus upon what God has already done for us and how much He loves us. What do you say? Amen? You know, it's almost dangerous to tell you what you need to do without giving you the tools to do it. It's almost like, okay, you need, you know, you hear presentation, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this. But if you don't have the power to do it, you're going to get more discouraged. It's almost like Paul is saying, I was alive once without the law, but when the law came, I died. The more you know without the revealing character of Christ to your life, the more hard it is. Because you try to do it in your own strength, like Paul, and you die spiritually. But when we see a fresh revelation on God's character of love and how much He really loves you, then that's going to transform your life. Here is love, folks. If you want to see a safe place, we must focus on. God's If you want to see a safe home, if you want to see a safe church, you want to see a safe environment, a safe school, whatever it is that you belong to, we must become that safe place. What do you say? Amen? And we must reveal and see God's love to others. We must actually, actually see first God's love and focus upon how much He loves us. Not so much upon how much you need to love God, which we know we already need to do, right? But we need to focus upon how much God loves us. That's where love is found. Why? Because we love Him because what? He first loved us. Love awakens love. When we focus upon how much God loves us, it awakens in our hearts then to love Him. And that's what we need to focus. And that's what we told inspiration. If you look at your handout in Desire of Ages, page 83, it would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point. And let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the what? Closing scenes. What is the closing scenes? The closing scenes of Christ's life was the cross. The closing scenes. And as we dwell upon His great sacrifice for us, right, on the cross, our confidence in Him will be more constant. Our love will be quickened, and we shall be more deeply imbued with His Spirit. You want to have a good walk at Christ? Follow this quotation. If we would be saved at last, we must learn the lesson of penitence and humiliation at the foot of the cross. What do you say? Amen? Can you imagine if you just open a desire of ages and for one hour just meditated upon the life of Jesus Christ? You know what that's going to do to your life? You just look upon the love of God and how much He loves you. You know how it's going to transform your life? You know how it's going to transform your family? Your home may be a toxic environment. It will transform your life. I know some of us here have struggled because even if you read those Desire of Ages for an hour, again, we're going back to that warped picture of life we've experienced is what we see the Desire of Ages to be. And God wants us to experience the full healing. Ask God and pray to God. Say, God, show to me. Reveal to me. Help me to have an experience where I can see, I can look upon, and I can handle what love looks like. And God's going to answer that prayer. I really believe that. There's a true story of a, a young man who got into a fight with his dad. And they got very heated and got angry, and they're yelling at each other, and they're angry and mad at each other, and finally he said, I'm leaving, and he left, and the father said, go ahead, and he, he slammed the door and left, and he ran away far away from home. After a few years went by, he was, his heart was touched, and he felt bad how he treated his His father. And also so badly, he just wanted to come home and he wanted to make things right. He wanted to reconcile with his dad because he loved his dad. And he was sad at what happened three years earlier and he wanted to make things right. So he decided to come back home. And with that, he came with a phone call. So he called up his mom because he couldn't just talk to his dad. And he said, Mom, I really, really want to come home. But I don't know if dad wants to accept me. So, I want to know if dad wants me to come home or not. Could you please let dad know to, to hang a, this one little tiny handkerchief, a white handkerchief on the windowsill? And then I know if I can see that one handkerchief, a white handkerchief on the windowsill, then I'm going to know that dad wants me back home and I really, I really want to see you folks. So, he hung up the phone. He bought a ticket on the train that passed near his house. He jumped on board his train, and he's going and driving, and he was actually on a train, and it was going, and he happened to sit by a minister. And he was talking to his minister about what happened in his past, they had fought and things were going bad, and he wanted to come home, and he told him about the story about asking his mom to ask his dad to hang a white handkerchief if his dad really wanted him to come home or not. And he said, Minister, I just, I just can't bear to look out the window when we're passing. When it comes near, please, can you look for me and tell me? If there's, anything, if, if there's anything white out there by my house so I can know if I can go see my family or not, my parents, whom I love. The minister said, okay, I'll do that for you. And as he was, was getting closer and closer, he said, it's time, minister. He's out there. Uh, there's the house is right over there. Please tell me. Um, I can't look, but please look for me and tell me, minister. Do you see anything out there, anything white on the house? And he's looking, looking. Oh, wait, wait. And all of a sudden, the minister almost was beside himself. Like he forgot that he was a minister. He was jumping up and down and screaming for joy. And goes, look, you got to look. You just got to see what's going on. And the young man looked out the window. And there as he looked out the window, he saw not only a white handkerchief, he saw white towels and white sheets and everything white in the whole house. And he saw that the whole house was just plastered with white. And the last thing that minister saw as his as a young boy was running, he saw the the hind legs of that young man running to his home because his father wanted him once again. What do you say, amen? And whatever the same is true with God. There's a God out there who loves you so much. And you know what? No matter what people say, and not only what they say, because people can say God is good, but no matter what people reveal in their lives and how they treat you, even in the church, our Father in heaven is still good. What do you say, Amen. And this younger brother ran away from home because the older brother was an abusive older brother. And though there are abusive people, like in this story, abusive people, spiritual abusers in the church who have wounded you, have wounded people in your family, have wounded your friends, who have made people leave the church, know that your father is still a good man. What do you say, amen? And you're there in church not for the older brother. You're in church there because of your father. What do you say, amen? And when you see how good your Father is, that goodness of God will lead you to repentance. And then you will become good. And reflect that goodness to other people. And the goodness of God leads them to repentance. And they will reflect God's goodness in their lives. And the goodness of God will bring other people to repentance. And the character of Christ will be perfectly reproduced in his people. And then Christ will come to take us home. What do you say? Amen? What a wonderful God we serve. I want to serve Him with all of my heart. What about you? What do you say? Amen? Adam it says in Manuscript Releases 21, Come just as you are, weak, helpless, ready to die. What a wonderful God. Amen? May God... Reveal to us, not to show to us, but reveal to us what love truly looks like so we can have that pu'ohonua, that safe place. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. May we continue to see your love and may we experience it, experience it, Lord, in our hearts and mind. It is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.